out of the park baseball is already the best baseball simulator out there and it's gotten even better with the release of their new perfect team mode perfect team is their foray into the ultimate team card collecting modes that have revolutionized the online experience for sports games if you already have ootp 19 then you have perfect team just go to the home page and click perfect team on the right hand side and you'll begin with your six starter packs to build the team. And from there, you can choose to open more packs or dive into the robust auction house and use perfect points to craft the team that you want. The depth of players is truly amazing with a card for every player present on an MLB roster, as well as legendary throwbacks like Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, like Daryl Strawberry, Larry Walker, Manny Ramirez, all the way down to novelty players like Bob Euchre and Snuffy Sternweiss. That's right. I said Snuffy Sternweiss. That's a real player. Once you have your team, you build your lineups, you build your rotation, you pick the strategy that you want. You want to run a small ball team. You want to be a full sabermetrician. You want to be somewhere in between. You want to run an unorthodox. You can choose you know, how often that you're stealing, how often you're using shifts, the slowness or quickness of the hook for pitchers and relievers. A lot of detail there that you can set for the team and how it will run during the simulations. Uh, and once you set all that, you submit your team and the game simulates outcomes every 30 minutes from 9 a.m. to midnight central. Seasons run from Monday to Sunday with every day of the week covering a month and then Sundays covering the playoffs. Will you make the playoffs and be promoted to the next level or finish with one of the worst records in the league and possibly face relegation down to a previous level? Download the game for just $20 at ootpdevelopments.com and use code SLEEPER19 for a 10% discount at checkout. That's ootpdevelopments.com. Welcome to episode 638 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Sunday, February 3rd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I am joined by a trio of folks. I've got Justin Mason, Jason Collette, and our special guest, Ellen Adair. How's everyone doing this morning? Hey, really good. Justin? Uh, I, I'm here. You're here. You're just not doing that well. And Jason? Doing excellent. Jason, you going to stick with us the whole show? officially today. Yeah, I'm gonna okay. stay with. I'm gonna stay on the whole show. My internet's right. gonna hold up. Knocking yeah. on, knocking on my standing desk here. This is the official start of the fantasy baseball season. Not yet, but tonight. Once the Super Bowl ends, for me, boom, it's locked. By loaded. the time anybody the listens to start. this, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. By the time that they uh, they get to it tonight, uh, you folks may know Ellen. If you don't follow her on Twitter, which you should, uh, Ellen underscore Adair, A D A I R. But you may know her from billion from Homeland. The Sinner, Billions, and a show that should have gone off but didn't for some reason. Some TV executive made a terrible decision called Detroit, I Love You. Uh, Ellen, so happy to have you here. I want to start right away with something, though. You have a rebuttal from a previous guest of ours. We had Mr. Ian Kahn, a fellow actor, one of one of your brethren, if you will, uh, state how much he's not that interested in having Machado or Harper on his beloved Yankees and, uh, you know, a little bit of that that Yankee arrogance where we can't have them around. We're too good for them. Yeah. You are a diehard Philly fan. And obviously, your team's been rumored on to both 
and you're you're not so against uh, having one of them. So why don't you rebut Ian's uh, notion that you wouldn't want one of them on your team? Absolutely. Um, so let me just say in terms of disagreeing with Ian that I'm I'm well aware that I'm probably like poor man's Ian Khan in terms of my <laughs> fantasy analysis, given the kinds of leagues he plays in. Um, like Justin's going to get all kinds of flack on Twitter for asserting that you should take Ian Khan. Like, why should you take Ian Khan if you can take Ellen Adair 100 spots later? <laughs> be like, but Ian Khan's probably though. So anyway, all due respect to Mr. Khan. Um, but... Personally, I just think that not wanting Harper or Machado on your team is nuts. Um, So I think that there's a class of baseball fan who uh, is essentially lashing back against the kinds of fans who have heard of Harper and Machado and maybe not heard, for example, of like AJ Pollock. And it's just a name recognition thing. They're like, oh, that famous guy, I want him on my team. And so this other group of fans is like, wait, hold on. These guys aren't perfect. They don't have the spirit that I want on my team. But I guess that makes me kind of like the backlash to the backlash. Essentially, my attitude is if they're assholes, they're assholes that I want on my team. Um, So like you were saying, to a certain extent, I understand that Ian is coming to this from the point of view of being a Yankees fan and maybe they don't need Harper and Machado. Um, But his kind of argument is exactly the kind of argument I hear from others, Phillies fans too. And it just makes me cranky. Um, So... First of all, I fully believe that if the Phillies don't sign one or the other of them, knowing Philadelphia sports fans like I do, there's going to be an all-out riot. I mean, uh, we all saw what they did to the city when the Eagles won, like a year ago today. <laughs> when they won, yeah, when, yeah. when things went when well. Won. Thanks for that reminder. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. So I just feel like if this doesn't happen, they're going to be like tearing the Liberty Bell out from its moorings and upturning it and like vomiting cheesesteaks into the Liberty Bell. And they're going to be like all the construction workers are going to be taking a wrecking ball to the Rocky Stairs at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And I just don't want to see that happen. Do you Um, have a preference between the two of which, which you'd like to see on the club? I do, actually. Yeah, I sort of prefer um, Machado, uh, uh, chiefly just because of the defense. I mean, everybody knows that the Phillies defense last year was like a Greek tragedy. Uh, Yeah, the the worst record of defensive runs saved since we have records of defensive runs saved. (laughs) And like, personally, I consider myself sort of the... um, a de facto president of the Ladies Love Smartly Executed Defensive Plays Club. <laughs> and so, like, when I was watching the games, I was like, oh, it was worse than that. Um, so I, you know, Harper's defense is just sort of, like, average, and Machado's defense is obviously would be a huge upgrade to mm-hmm. Michael Franco's defense. Yeah, um, particularly with him going to third. I mean, um, even if they finagled the situation where he played short and Segura moved to second and something happened with Cesar Hernandez, uh, Machado's defense at short did improve last year with the Dodgers. I don't think he's a total dud at short either. You could really put him at at either spot, greatly improve what they had out there. We'll see if McCutcheon can do something in a corner as well. And then maybe they have two plus uh, two added defenders there if they end up getting Machado. 
Yeah, well, because McCutcheon, even though like he doesn't have a great career track record of defensive runs saved either, that's mostly when he was in center. Mm-hmm. So if he's in a corner, I feel a little bit better about that. And I feel like either way, he's going to be an upgrade on um, my poor boy, Reese Hoskins, who just like yeah. wasn't made for left field. Um, yeah, that's true. That's a good trickle trickle effect, too. So you're putting Reese Hoskins back at first, McCutcheon out there in the outfield, ideally Machado uh for for defense there and so you know they they're going to improve the defense it can't be worse let's just say that it it, it just can't in terms of regression to the mean it has to be a little bit better but Mm -hmm. my my yeah my primary like christmas wish for the phillies offseason is to upgrade the defense so like my private dream is also that they actually shift herrera also to the corner where his defense profile is a little bit better and they put roman quinn um in center uh Provided, oh, that, yeah, I love that. Stay healthy, yeah. That's that's just like that would be my dream. Um, Speaking uh, of your dreams and your sleep, Justin or Jason actually has a question with regards to all of these rumors. And and, and go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I was just wondering how your sleep was doing since the false Bryce Harper going to Philly rumor. I, I saw a number of tweets from you. This is a national crisis. Where is where is the government to help us out at this point? <laughs> Yeah, yelling at her mom via text. (laughs) Oh yeah, yelling at your mom. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what had happened. Is my mom had just like sent me a text salvo that was like rumor says Harper, and then I think gone to bed because then I texted her back and I was like, "What's the source of these rumors?" And she didn't text me back. So then. Uh, the worst idea ever. I'm like scrolling Twitter at two in the morning trying to be like, where is she getting this idea from? And so, yeah, I was yelling at her via text, but it's because she had just (laughs) gone to sleep. But I like actually didn't sleep very well that night, Um, which is just goes to show you my unhealthy love. This needs to happen, though. It really does. It's getting so tiresome with both of them. I don't blame either of the the guys. It's more of an MLB thing and, and Oh, front offices screwed up but i really what the process is so screwed up it, i mean exactly it, the when, that both yeah. these guys are sitting out here like this and it, it's obvious there's only so many teams well I, I take that back any team if if the if the rumors of the white Sox thing that was i guess people shot down that they had offered 225 everybody's got it i was ranting before that there's rumors that the rays have a new tv deal that pays them 82 million dollars a year you couple that with the $50 million you get from MLB Advanced Media every year for the national rights, and all of a sudden, there's $130 million a year before you sell a ticket and a hot dog. You know one of the funniest things I've heard this offseason is the notion that the Cubs can't afford one of them. Oh, God. They use the word afford with the Chicago Cubs. Like, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, someone brought this up. I can't remember if it was in on Twitter or in my Twitch chat about how, you know, baseball or excuse me, basketball and football, their free agency, the big guys are always like signing early there. You know, it's really that frenzy early on. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's really exciting. And here we are. The Super Bowl is going to happen today. And the two best free agents have not signed. And it's dragged out to a point where some people don't even care anymore. They're just like, get it done. I'm, I'm over it's, it. it. It's not like these are regular free agents who no. are like in their late 20s. These guys are guys you build a team around like they're yeah. and remember young. what we heard last year everyone's saving mm-hmm. to get get on top of it this year and it's like nope that's not what's happening and so that, that a lot of things need to be fixed 
And uh, I still believe that that Philly's going to get one of them. We'll see if the White Sox or Padres get get the other, or what happens here, or if the Yankees are still in, or the Dodgers. Look at that future payroll, though. I mean, with the with the Phillies, there's so much room. I mean, their payroll this year is 130. Then it goes down to 72 million, 72.7. Then 51.4. Uh, They've got all of this room to make this long-term commitment. I think it's just a game of chicken between three or four clubs at this point. Yes. Yeah, they've got they've got so much room. But my favorite tweet of the year so far, maybe I posted a picture yesterday of of a groundhog seeing his shadow, and it was a baseball. And I was <laughs> like, like, this is the only shadow yeah. I care about. And somebody yeah. replied and said, "What? We have six more weeks of free agency." Oh <laughs> yeah, damn, <laughs> that's that's the harsh truth. But it was it was funny. But that's what it's come down to. I mean, these guys are reporting. 11 days until pitchers and catchers report it's, at this point. It's too much, man. It's too much. It's, it's really bad. And, and, well, and it, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh Ellen. no, I was just going to say, I mean, the thing that's, that's so frustrating sort of like from a, from a Phillies fan perspective, and I very well understand that everybody whose team isn't, you know, one of the four teams that are in this race probably just wants to like puncture their eardrums and not hear about this anymore. But like the Phillies really need to make more acquisitions, in my opinion. Like, I think uh, Steamer projects Phillies to be the fourth in the NL East right now. And this sort of noise that, like, Clentac and McPhail have been making on occasion about how there are all kinds of different ways to improve just gives me gastritis because I feel like they've been missing out on some of the other ways to improve. Well, while they wait for, yeah, while they wait for this, other guys go by the wayside. And that's kind of the problem, too, with, with all these teams that are waiting is that their backup plans are gone now uh, or or yeah, quickly that, dwindling. that's what the Giants so. are waiting for. They're waiting to find out if they're going to land <laughs> Harper and Machado. Yeah, that, Meanwhile, that, they're signing Brandon Beachy, who I honestly thought was I, dead. I, thought I didn't realize done. he was still alive. Yeah, I thought I thought he was done playing too, but uh, yeah, have an arm know, anymore. But we we, we got to see what happens with this. And really, I really hope it picks up soon because uh, pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting very quickly. But I did mention. Diehard Phillies fan. That's what we're talking about there. Let's get into some more Phillies talk here. Let's start with yeah. uh, the top, Aaron Nola, uh, coming off that brilliant Cy Young capable season, uh, very much in the mix. I don't think that he was the winner. You know, I, I think DeGrom was the rightful winner, but Aaron Nola, very much in the top three. Is he a top five starter in baseball this year? Is he someone that you're looking at as a top five starter for fantasy? Ellen, how do you feel about Nola, uh, obviously as the ace, but overall in the in the grand scheme of, of MLB right now? So, like, with the proviso that Aaron Nola is one of my five favorite people that I don't actually know, and I will love him until the day I die, um, I... I don't know that he might be worth the cost that you're paying for him in a redraft league. Um, you know, your question there is like, is he one of the top five pitchers? And I, I don't know that he will be this season. Uh, I think certainly like top 10 unquestionably. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there, I have kind of like three reasons why, or I guess it's sort of 2.5 reasons. So the the 1.5 is just that I'm not sure that you can pen him in for uh you know the 212 spectacular innings that he had this past year. Um because as you know we all know he's battled some injuries in the past and the the couple of seasons where he had a lot of blowups uh I feel like those were injury related you know it was always like his his elbow or his back um so 
it just means that he has some injury risk. And to a certain extent, this is like, well, he's a pitcher, duh. Um, but, you know, at the end of last year, I, uh, I actually, I was in person at, I think, uh, five or six of Nola's starts last year. And so I um, saw that in a couple of his uh, sort of later starts to the season, he just was really tailing off and it seemed to me like he was tiring. Uh, and and kind of looking back at those games now on Baseball Savant, um, it just seems like his curveball command wasn't quite as good, and he was throwing his changeup a lot less, um, which obviously the the sort of reincorporating that changeup, which was actually like his initially, um, he had such a good f- feel for that pitch when he came to LSU that he um, just focused on his curveball and just kind of like brought the change back in in 2017, which I know I'm telling you guys stuff that you already know. Anyway, so like that's so key to what has made him a really incredible pitcher. And it just seemed like when he was tiring, he just didn't have as good of a feel for it. Um, yeah, it, it definitely seemed like that that first big 200 plus inning season, a little bit of a wear down there. And most guys have that unless they, you know, get that little little break maybe in August or something that can kind of rejuvenate them or even just some of the guys that are horses uh, for all six months. But he's kind of working into that is Nola. Uh, Jason, you seem to think that he he is a, a top five guy because you took him as such behind only Max, Sale, DeGrom, and Kluber in this draft we're in right now, the 50-round uh, draft and hold AFL speakers draft. Yeah, Do so tell. a couple of factors. Yeah, a couple of things went into play. I mean, last year I, I predicted he was going to be a top three Cy Young vote. So that worked. Uh, and I said that before the season. That's where my belief was in him. But I did take him as, an, as the fifth pitcher off the board in the league Paul and I are in together. Uh, and I was going to take a, I was taking a picture there in that second spot, no doubt. This was from the, uh, the 10th spot. So this would have been pick, uh, 19, uh, no, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. 21. And I looked at the trio of Nola, Cole and Verlander and, and Paul, what are you and I always most guilty of when we draft together? What do you mean? Oh, not taking a picture. No, no. When we take a picture, what do we always do? And it's always, oh, it always shows up late. Thank you. American League. We, we, La, was it last league. year or two years ago? We drafted eight American League pitchers yeah, in a 15-team yeah, mix. Two years ago, yeah. <laughs> and, well, whatever it is. I mean, we just it could be our, the fact that both of our teams are there, so we see more. We just seem to lean way too heavily on the AL. And while the split in leagues isn't as severe, that's still just – it's not a great strategy. And honestly, that's have. what it came down to. I liked all three of those guys just about equally. But at the end of the day, I was, I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm breaking the trend. I'm going with the National League do guy it. this time. And and you, that's really where it, that's kind of what it came down to. Plus, I really I am a uh, a big fan of the acquisition of David Robertson to that bullpen. I think yeah. that bullpen's very deep uh, and it, it, he should have a reduction of those no decisions because uh, there's a lot of tools. I know early on Kapler as a rookie was just burning through those guys. And I think he figured out, you know what, I can't use them like this over the full course of a season. And I like the acquisition uh, with with Juan Nicasio and, and all the pieces and the mixing and matching they can do in that pen. And I think he's positioned to to have another solid year. And I agree with you that he could be a top 10 pitcher. But I took him SP5 only because he was a National League guy. And the next one, two, three, four, five, six, the next six pitchers after Nola were all American League guys. And, and your first five pitchers, uh, four of your first five, Nola, Wheeler, Doolittle, Pavetta, you got another Philly there who we'll get to in a moment, are, are National League guys. So you're you're staying on that National League. And apparently I'm there. a Phillies fan. 
Ellen, not... is there room on is there room on the bandwagon for me? Hey, hey <laughs> yes, absolutely. They it's got a lot of good pitching, so it's actually you know <laughs> worth jumping in on. Justin, uh, what are your thoughts on Nola? Is he is he quite top five for you, or where, where do you have him within the top ten? If not, assuming you still have him top ten, which I imagine you should. Well, first off, let me say if you're getting Ellen a hundred picks after Ian, you're getting a steal. You're getting an absolute yeah, steal. Just, you're, just, you're, what draft? You know, we'll, we'll go the old put, play in a tougher league. You're, yeah. you're going to get so 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 many angry tweets, Justin. I'm uh, really... he, he's got my cell. I'll, I'll be getting text messages tomorrow. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I completely agree with Alan. I I think that Nola is easily a top ten pitcher, but top five with his injury history is really pushing it for me. I think I would rather have. Verlander, I think I'd rather have Garrett Cole. Obviously, I would take Scherzer and DeGrom. Sales on that list. I, Kluber? I think, uh, Kluber is a tough one for me because you, you see kind of the, the beginning of the decline, and is this the year where the cliff falls out? I don't know that I'm going to have a ton of shares of Kluber this year, so I'd probably put Nola above him, but I think Severino is in that conversation. I know I seem to be the high person on Severino. Uh, and, and Snell is in that conversation as well. So I think about six, seven, or eight is where I'm going to end up on Aaron Nola. Yeah, I've got I've got Nola seven. So definitely like what uh, what he's doing. And I can't quite go top five because of all the guys y'all named: uh, Scherzer, Degrom, Sale, JV, Cole. And then I got I do have Kluber just ahead of him, but uh, love, love, love what Nola does, and excited to see what he can do here. Let's and run to the notes. opposite. Well, one thing I wanted to jump in real quick. <clears throat> I, mean, I added some notes that what's what I think is unique about him is that it's not the fa- it's the other it's the curve and the changeup. Both those pitches are top twenty fifth percentile whiff rates, and then the fastball is just average. But the fact that he commands it well, and you look at you look at the pitch value in that fastball, and you're like, wow, that's really high. I think it was a top fifteen pitch value. And normally when we see that, we associate it with guys that throw really hard. Obviously, that's not the case with him, but where he's able to use it and locate it to set up those other pitches really allows him to do what he does. Yeah, he can he can also like tunnel pitches in a way that makes like the angels rejoice. The actual <laughs> angels, not like the yeah, not not the not not the yeah. baseball players. In fact, if they're facing him, they don't rejoice at all. They're not because rejoicing. Aaron Nola dominates them. Uh, let's run to the opposite end of the spectrum on on the Phillies and, and talk about Scott Kingry for a moment because he came in, he got he signed the deal, which I think really jumped his uh, fantasy value up a little bit, his fantasy cost, I should say, because now he wasn't going to have to face that that extra time down in the minors. He was going to be good to go. He was kind of a ready-made prospect coming into his age 24 season after that giant uh, 2017 across double and triple A, and he flopped, plain and simple. I mean, he was he was a total disaster. Just a 605 OPS, 226 average, eight homers, 10 stolen bases in 484 plate appearances. Ellen, do you see Kingery as a post-type sleeper, or is he can, where he can get into that maybe super utility Ben Zobris kind of role? Or is he somebody that's just going to be kind of middling and and kind of work his way through his mid-20s? Well, wh- where are you on Scott Kingery after the first bad year? I have been really glad that you guys have been hyping Kingery a little bit because I personally um, believe in the talent. I, I don't know. Maybe actually I shouldn't be glad that you've been hyping him because I was hoping I could like buy back in at super cheap. Um but I am buying, and I'm aware that that might be a little emotional. Um, I saw Kingery play 
um, at Double A Reading, and he got a combo meal, and I had like little like hearts over my eyes. <laughs> Um, they were little like, you know, hearts with like baseball seam stitching on them. But the thing that I uh, I guess I have to contribute to this that is uh, not totally emotional is that I know that Gabe Kapler also like has little baseball hearts over his eyes about Scott Kingery. Like he loves Kingery. Um, and he's been on the record recently as thinking that Kingery is going to be the most improved this season, um, which in some ways it's sort of like, well, you know, uh, where else can he go? The mean. Where else yeah. can he go? Um, so it's sort of an easy pick for Kapler to make there. Um, but in terms of of like Kingery's playing time, you know, I I think if the Phillies don't get Machado, I see third base as most likely. Um, okay. That could again just be my sort of like wishful thinking, just because I know that Kingery's defense is better than Franco's defense, um, and he did play third a handful of times last year uh but you know like if they do get Machado then maybe he plays the outfield a little bit so um that's the thing I think he can be a super utility there 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 can be a super utility role there for Scott Kingery Justin I know you and I have been you know like I said talk like Ellen mentioned talking him up a bit the price he's just priced to buy at this point And, and with the community running completely the other way that's when you and I usually swoop in particularly if we weren't in uh, on the original hype, which I, I really wasn't. And it's not that I thought he was going to flop, so I'm not trying to really take huge credit on it. It's just that it just didn't end up with him. I didn't have the same affinity for him, so I just kind of let that one go by the wayside while I overdrafted Luis Castillo and Ozzy Albies instead. So, you know, I had my own uh, issues to deal with. So I didn't really end up with Kingry. But now he's going like four f- 414 on average. I think even with a big spring, what what's the peak that that would jump up to? Like 100, 120 picks max? So he'd still basically be in the 300s where guys like Kike Hernandez, Omar Narvaez, Jock Peterson, like I just don't see it. We're in on him, but where's that playing time come from, Justin? It's going to have to come from some sort of super utility role. But, I mean, obviously the Phillies like him. They gave him that contract, so it's in their best interest to let him see the field and not send him back down uh, to AAA. I, I think he be, because he can play the outfield and he can play multiple infield positions, uh, I think he's going to kind of fill that, uh, that you know, Hernan Perez role, that, um, that Marwin Gonzalez type role where he's going to play four or five times a week just randomly giving other guys days off. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. And while he only comes into the season with shortstop eligibility in most formats, he should pick up a lot of other eligibilities in season. And so he's like the perfect guy for your reserve list or your bench, uh, especially in daily formats. Uh, Like we've talked about, this is going to be, you know, the earliest start of the season ever. It's going to have the most days off ever. And in a daily moves format, you're going to want to have guys who can play all over the place to kind of fill in on days off. Uh, for guys so Scott Kingery is a guy that if you liked him coming into last season and I did and I was part of that hype uh, I, you you have to kind of like where he's going right now because he's pretty much being left alone in most formats yeah he's, he's basically free Jason uh, obviously the Zobrist comp is, is the dream that's what we can dream on uh, how viable is it that he can get to something like a like a Zobrist role I mean, the, so the thing I don't like the Zobra scroll form because I think when you're when you're young like this, it helps. And we often talk about 
they'll say with relievers, hey, they'd like to have their role. It, it, they'd like to know they're the seventh inning guy, the eighth inning guy. You hear managers say it all the time. But mm-hmm. with position players, they don't even nobody really talks about that. You know, mm-hmm. hey, you show up to the field, you're today's shortstop, and tomorrow you're the third base. So he's going through. Yes, he played a majority of his positions at shortstop last year, uh, but as a rookie, he did play different places all around the field. And I was, you know, when you look back, shortstop's tough. And that's why the defensive spectrum, shortstop and center field are the toughest positions. And I was going back looking at first year OPSs for, for shortstops that struggled. And, you know, one of the, I'm looking at just pure OPS, but, you know, Nick Ahmed, a guy that people like now, go back and look at his first year was pretty much right in line with this. I think part of the problem is the curve has been blown of late with Paul DeYoung and, and Corey Seager and Trevor Story and you mean Carlos Correa? Lindor, Carlos Correa, those, those guys coming out of the gate and hitting right out of the gate. But we can't forget that, you know, King Reed's profile is built on a very strong hit tool and a very strong speed tool. If we just looked at the, the, the grades on his tools and took away last year, people would be in love. Then you throw yeah. in the six and you're like, eh, but those tools are still there. The results haven't gotten there yet, but the tools are still there. Just from a fantasy perspective right now, it's just that playing time that holds me back because I was very much in uh, on him last year. Uh, but I I don't – I would prefer he gets in. You know, as Ellen was saying, if, if something doesn't happen with Machado and they say, okay, Scott, you're our third baseman this year, great. I'd prefer mm-hmm. he stays in one spot. But uh, I'm more interested in him in a keeper league, a three-year format, than I am in a reset right now. Sure, that that makes sense. And yeah. but the lack of a clear spot will keep Kingry's price down too. So that definitely helps. And it is a long season. I think sometimes people get too focused on April and don't think more about the six-month deal of it. And so if you have a, a situation where a reserve roster is plentiful, Kingry could be your guy. Let's move on to Nick Pavetta who uh, definitely fallen into that wide-awake sleeper status, which is uh, basically just a guy who's who's labeled on every sleeper list and so often discussed as a sleeper that his sleeper value is lost. Uh, he really starts to push up the draft ranks to the point where it's just like, okay, well, there, there goes all that that benefit. I mean, he's going pick 156 on average right now for Pavetta. Uh, eyeballing it, I think that's you know around the 40th pitcher or so, which... Is fine. I don't think it's out of bounds, but I don't think that that's where I would where I would tab somebody as a sleeper. In fact, yeah, he's 56 mm-hmm. among all pitchers, and if you really if you remove the relievers, it's yeah probably around 40th or so. So that's fine, uh, but that doesn't that means he's not a sleeper. Ellen Nick Pavetta, wh- where does the improvement come from? Can he keep the dang ball in the yard? Because I think that that's the biggest yeah, issue. How do you feel about Pavetta for uh, for 19? Yeah, well, I mean, I think like all of you guys, I was really excited at the end of last season because I was like, oh, I'm going to get Pavetta next year. And like, he's, you know, probably going to be so much better and he's going to be really cheap. And now the question is, you know, sort of like, are we paying for his upside? Um, because I know that everybody is excited about the strikeout rate and and they're not wrong. And his ground ball rate is also really good. Um, and uh, it's... It's partly so when we were talking about Aaron Nola before, um, what the other I said I had 2.5 reasons, and the other, um, like one reason, having gone over 1.5 of the reasons, um, was I'm sure that uh, you guys have all seen uh, that article that um, Mike Petriello wrote. Um, Tom Tango has written about the same thing about how actually the Phillies defense didn't hurt Aaron Nola. Um, and didn't hurt Jake Arrieta, but it hurt 
uh, Nick Pavetta, uh, Zach Eflin, and Vince Velasquez, and mm-hmm. and uh, Velasquez, excuse me, and it really hurt Pavetta inordinately. Um, so they sort of compared uh, his actual uh, ERA to not just his FIP, which is a lot lower, but to uh, like expected ERA based on the batted ball data, and found that Pavetta's ERA should have been much, much lower than it was. Um, so that obviously has me really excited about him. Um, and this that's also one of the things I was going to say is just that uh, despite the fact that, you know, uh, BRAF War credited NOLA for the terrible Phillies defense. They credited him big time. Big time. It didn't uh. actually hurt him at all. In fact, just like bizarrely, the chance of baseball, it helped him a little bit. Um, so I just think that it's it's possible that just in terms of, of NOLA's ratio stats, that they regress a little bit more to like where his FIP has been, um, which has been really regular. You know, it's always like around three for the last three years. So we're not talking about, we're talking about like regression to still being an ace, but just that I think you're not going to quite get the numbers from NOLA this year that you did last year. Anyway, so back to Pavetta. Um, you know, one of the things that's really exciting is if it's just like, if he can just be not that dang unlucky, uh, then maybe he can be a lot better. You know, maybe it's about the defense um, backing him up a little bit, or maybe that really is just about this this sort of like weird luck. Um, the one thing, uh, and I'm sure you guys know this, but it's just that he's really prone to sort of like blow up starts. Yes. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know because I mean, I think I, I hope that I've proved at this point in the conversation that like, I like looking at numbers as much as the next weeb, (laughs) but I, I don't know if there's just a sort of psychological component to that, um, that, you know, some pitchers are, are better at sort of like getting their face caved in and dealing with having a defense made of like Lincoln logs behind them. (laughs) And, and and like, you know, maybe Pavetta just doesn't deal with that as well. So when things start to go poorly for him, he has a harder time executing his pitches. And like, that would be me if I were in that yeah, situation. Yeah, that'd, that'd be me too. So, that, that'd be really frustrating. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not um, uh, castigating him in any way. Um, the only other thing to, I guess, to tag on to as a sort of like concern was uh, there was this article on, on The Athletic by this Guy and he had a weird name. It was like emo, but not yeah. weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I okay, hate yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah, I blocked know. his articles. If you oh. contact the athletic, they can set a special filter where his articles don't even come through. Okay, cool. All right, I yeah. will. I'll, I'll do you that. You got to yeah. pay a little extra, but it's absolutely worth it. But well, but but since you read that, just go ahead and tell us what it was. Since you had to be punished. Okay. With yeah. Well, I'm gonna be blocking it in the future because this this <laughs> thing from this article like keeps me up at night. As long as we're talking about the quality of my sleep. Um. So he was talking about how Pavetta pitches differently with the shift on, and that he throws fewer outside fast fastballs when the shift is on. And and the thing that like makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up is the fact that apparently all of the pitchers do this, um, but I just think Pavetta was the most extreme example. Uh, and of course, it's worrying because it's like no, they should just let the shift take care of the shift, and they should just pitch the same. Exactly. So I don't really know what's going on with that. Um, that that is interesting. I actually hadn't read that from Eno. I'll have to go check on that and see what what it says about Pavetta. I mean, 
you know, you look at a 20% strikeout minus walk rate, 12% swinging strike, just should have had better results. Even the 1.3 homer per nine is is high, but it, it's not so egregious that you would have thought he would have a near five ERA with the 477. So the defense being a major issue makes sense. And as Alan brought up, there were all those uh, uh, blow up starts from Pavetta. Jason, you're bought back in. You went ahead and took him uh, as your SP3, pick 130 in that yeah. aforementioned draft there ahead of Kyle Hendricks, Chris Archer, Andrew Heaney, uh, Robbie Ray, and even closer Rysel Iglesias. So tell us tell us what you like so much that kept you committed to Pavetta. So he was uh, the 33rd starting pitcher off the board in that draft. That's where I ended up taking him. <clears throat> and I looked at him at that class. I, I looked at Robbie Ray, couldn't get over the walk rate and especially how he ended the year. Um, I am I am a, a proud member of burnt out on Chris Archer syndrome. Can't do it anymore. Uh, and I, I do like I do like Heaney, but gets back to the ALNL rule. But really, what yeah. stood out for me with with Pavetta was just taking a look at the expected stats. He had the highest differential between his actual and his expected batting average of all starting pitchers last year. The first, if you go to the baseball savant and you look and you get rid of the relievers, he's number one. And yep. you look at you look at the quality of contact, look at his expected weighted on base, and look at the difference there. He's the number eleven. Uh, so there are there's he really suffered. And I'm sorry, not number eleven. Uh, also the highest: Alex Claudio, Sergio Romo, Adam Simber, Martin Perez. I don't count him as a starter. Joe Biagini, and then there's Pavetta. So there's a lot of he pitched a lot better. Uh, than where things are. And last year he recognized that, hey, I should be throwing my curveball more. It's a good pitch. Let's throw it more. Problem is when you throw your curveball more, you're uh, you're more prone to hanging a few of them, hence the problem with the home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you look at the, the whiff rate on his on his fastball, I mean, he his whiff rate was better than Blake Snell's last year on his fastball. And Blake Snell's got a damn good fastball. But there's Pavetta getting that. And then when you, when you got two pitches there in the top 25th percentile on swinging strike rate, um, yeah, he's a wide awake sleeper and people aren't going to get profit on him, but I, I'm in, uh, I think he's, I absolutely think he's a top 40 starting pitcher. I took him an SP 33 over some more proven names. I mean, when Pavetta's going ahead of Chris Archer, uh, like you said, wide awake sleeper at this point, Justin, anything to add here about, uh, about Pavetta and, and whether or not you're still taking him despite the wide awake sleeper status. Yeah, I'm still taking him. I just took him in, uh, my NFBC drafts champions league. I doubled up on him and Aaron Heaney uh, as my, my Andrew f- Heaney. Oh, no, mispronouncing names in this podcast is a staple. That's okay. Yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> between Velasquez a tradition and unlike any other. I, I, I'm just, just trying to keep it going, guys. Uh, Gaelic. Exactly. <laughs> Odubel Ferreira. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul DeJong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the most recent one of mine. But uh, yeah, I took him. I can't remember if it was seventh or eighth round, but I, I double tapped with with Andrew Heaney. Uh, I, I just love the potential. I just think you've got to be careful about the guys you put with him on your roster. So just don't don't put a bunch of guys who could blow up uh, in your rotation with, with a guy like Pavetta because that is a recipe for uh, a disaster down the road. Maybe get some I have, stability. I have them all at NL East. I have, yeah, I have compared with Nola, Wheeler, and uh, Pavetta are the three starters I've taken so far with Doolittle and Alvarado. So I have this whole East Coast pitching thing going. Uh, I, I like that. I, I like, like it. That's good quintet right there. Uh, let's move on to Jason's bold predictions. Uh, he put up at Rotowire for the NL East, and so his Phillies ones are out. 
and he might have noticed that he was kind of cheering the the Roman Quinn thing earlier that Alan brought up uh, because he's got him for 30 bags on one of his bold predictions. And then David Robertson as a top 60 pitcher, just overall pitcher. Uh, so that I would imagine that would include a good bit of saves, but just general general excellence overall. So, Jason, let's start with you on this since these are your predictions. Roman Quinn, 30 bags. I like it. I'm a big fan of his speed. Can he get the playing time, though? Yeah, so reminder, last year my prediction for the Phillies was Aaron Nola was a top five Cy Young and Carlos Santana hits 40 home runs. So one for two, uh, big yeah, one, swing and a miss on two. one of them, but Body nailed the other one. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, You're in so the whole this year, with that. Pretty much this year uh, with Roman Quinn, obviously it all comes down. It all comes down to playing time. I don't think he has to be an everyday player to do this. I think he can start some of the, if there's injuries, whatnot, but with the, with the NL and the rules, uh, you know, he could pinch run, double double switch, all the stuff going on. I think there's opportunities once he's on base, uh, he'll run. I mean, if you look at sprint speed, the only guy in the league faster than Roman Quinn is Byron Buxton. Buxton. That's it. Yep. Nobody else is faster. Uh, and so, you know, I also, I've also been on record saying I believe home runs will continue to go down this year. And you look historically over the last 40 years, and there's a picture I put, a graph that I put in the Rotowire article. Every year, home runs go down, steals come up. Uh, and I, I see that coming up, steals coming back a little more as teams look to manufacture runs. I'm looking at you, Kansas City. I mean, I already said that Kansas City is going to steal 200 bases as a team this year. And that hasn't been done in a while, but that's good. that's how Kansas City is going to score runs. But I think Quinn is a weapon that the Phillies have that Gabe Kapler will use often. Uh, even if he's not starting. And so uh, the other part of this bold prediction is getting you to think a little bit outside of the general box. I mean, you look at the overall predictions, and I think most of the most of the projections have Quinn in the 15 to 18, but all it takes is more opportunity for him to do even more with it. And so if you're looking for Seals late and Roman Quinn just hanging out there freely available uh, in any kind of league, you just go grab him. Uh, you throw a dart on that speed and you see what happens. But again, that he is the fastest player in the National League. Yeah, we've definitely seen the great speed out of Quinn, and we saw 10 stolen bases from him in just 143 plate appearances last year. He was 10 for 14. Uh, Ellen, what have you seen out of Quinn in his small sample? Just 212 plate appearances spread out from 16 and 18. He didn't get any major league time last year. But what have you seen from him that uh, either has you confident or, or giving you pause on what he could do with a more expanded p- playing time? Yeah, I, I really like him. And again, that's that's my like um, sort of uh, defense goggles that I tend to view players with. Um, he made this, I just will never forget it, this sort of amazing play where he threw out somebody. Uh, he was playing center field and he threw out somebody at the plate um, in 2016. And uh, so, yeah, he's just sort of been, uh, I've, I've been a fan of his. And it's, I think the real... Um, risk with how much playing time he gets is as much injury as it is opportunity. Um, The thing is, he's injured himself from what I can recall off the top of my head. A number of the times have been when he's been stealing bases and he's, you know, like, you know, injured his elbow or his ankle or his finger sliding into a base. So that's a possibility with him. Um, But I, 
I do absolutely believe in his talent and I'm like you guys and just I guess that I also like sort of rabbit players who steal a lot of bases and so I want to see him get playing time. He also he doesn't um he doesn't strike out a ton and like had from what I remember last year a, a non-zero amount of power. Mm-hmm. So you know, he might, even if you're getting him for for steals, he might chip in a home run or two where you're least expecting it. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. There is, there's a little punch to his bat uh, for Roman Quinn. Justin, do you join on the Quinn party here? Yeah, I don't see why he can't be a Gerard Dyson. Uh, my, my only fear would be they sign uh, Harper, Harper, and because they want Nick Williams on the Major League team for some apparent reason, uh, they, yeah, they send him back down. So that would be my only uh, concern. Is oh, if, hey, time out. Roman Quinn's out of options. Oh, I was just about to check that as I was talking. <laughs> there you to, go. He's got another to quota. And, and That's another I, feather in his cap. Williams, He's out of options. Yeah, Williams has three Williams options. Williams has two left. Two. All right, so, so there you never go. mind. That's... X-Nay on that one. So, yeah, no, I, th- <laughs> I think he could easily be like a – I mean, Gerard Dyson used to steal 30 bags – with under 300 plate appearances, there's no reason. And, Roman and before that, that, Rajay Davis was mm-hmm. the guy who would not have anywhere near full-time playing time and constantly steal 30, 40 plus bags. So it's possible. Obviously, he has to get the green light to do it. But with that or kind of blinding speed, yeah, <laughs> with that kind of blinding speed, I definitely think Quinn can do it. Let's talk about the Robertson pick, Jason. Can I, I imagine. That- oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to like tag something on that I personally observed about stolen bases with the Phillies last year. Um, just as a, as a general caveat for kind of any Phillies player, um, which is just that, uh, kind of looking at the, at the, um, what the Phillies did last year at the, their, their whole stats together, the person who stole the most bases was Cesar Hernandez at just 19. Um, and the thing that was crazy was they most of those stolen bases came in the first half of the season. Uh, and what kind of clued me into this was the fact that it like right out of the gate, Reese Hoskins stole a couple of bases. And I remember that. And and like I just anytime a sort of like first base or catcher type steals a base, it just really gets my pulse racing. I get really <laughs> excited. Um, so I was like, oh, my God, maybe the Phillies are going to run this year. Um, but everybody tailed off in the second half. And so what that points, I mean, obviously the Phillies themselves sort of like tailed off in the second half, but what that suggests to me is some sort of managerial approach that at the very start of the season, Kapler was telling people to run for some reason. And then at the end of the season, he was telling them not to, you know? Um, so I just don't know. Maybe that just had to do with the sort of players that they had that, you know, because obviously, as you mentioned, um, uh, Quinn still stole 10 bases in like 143 plate appearances. And so it's possible. Um, But it's just something that like I, as a Phillies fan, I'm kind of looking at coming into the season uh specifically regards gene segura that like i feel like one option is that now that there are maybe more stolen base type players maybe it becomes more part of their game there's also the potential that we actually see segura's stolen bases go down a little bit because it's not part of the managerial playbook yeah and i don't have an answer but i just want to bring that up with the second half aspect too, if if he thought maybe the club was wearing down, maybe Capo was just saying we're not going to take any 
extra chances here and maybe run out of some innings or even uh, spark up some injuries potentially, you know, so that there is, there is that aspect of it. Uh, but maybe they're more equipped to run this year too, with guys like Hernandez and Segura at the top. Even McCutcheon has some speed. Uh, we, and we, of course, we're talking about Quinn. Kingery can run. So maybe it's maybe it's a, a team dynamic thing that that changes as Kapler sees fit. Let's move on to the David Robertson piece. Justin or Jason, I would imagine this means that you think he's going to be the full time closer here, or do you think he can get sixty uh, top sixty player? even maybe sharing some of the saves, maybe 10, 12 spill off over to Dominguez. I, I think the latter. I think he can share some of the saves. I don't think he needs to be the full-time closer to have this type of value. Okay. Uh, you know, Right now, when you look, he's had a very deliberate pattern in his career. I mean, he has thrown, he has never exceeded the 70 inning mark in his career, but he's never also pitched fewer than 60 innings. And Joe Girardi has always been very rigid with him. It's it's like, all right, you're in for an inning or you're in maybe for four batters, maybe for five, but he has very low percentage uh, of work in those multiple, uh, in those multiple inning formats, which is just strange. Uh, when you in the national league, there's more opportunity for him to stay in. You don't have to, you know, you can, you look at him like, do I leave him in? Do I have to pull him out? I mean, I know that some of that comes in for some of the rules, but I mean, he strikes out quite a bit. And I think he can be used more in that capacity to, to exceed, uh, to get to the hundred strikeout plateau that he hasn't done since 2011. And one of the things, the prediction really where I put him around is being the first guy, being the first guy to win 10 games and save 10 games since uh, Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller did that. And before that, it was Francisco Cordero in 2006. That's been it. And I wow. think the, the the situation is there for Robertson to do that with the National League, with a manager who's not so rigid in his utilization of his relievers. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think he's that's why I think he could be a top 60 pitcher at the end of the year with the with with everything he can do. He doesn't need to be a full-time closer. I don't think he's too good to be a full-time swing man, but he's definitely good enough to use any time in the seventh, eighth or ninth, which puts him in great positions for wins or saves. Oh, and he's still going to strike out guys. Cause that's what he's done forever. Justin, I've kind of, I've kind of felt like Robertson's a bit undervalued. Obviously he hasn't been a full-time closer for the last couple of years, but he just goes out there. I mean, he's difficult to hit, puts up great ratios, tons of strikeouts, Obviously, he's going to be back in at least a a close, closer share this year and get a bunch of saves that way. But how do you feel about David Robertson now out in Philly? Is he someone that you're targeting? If the price is right, I'm just worried that uh, his ability or his chance to get saves will kind of drive up his price a little bit out of my range. Uh, so far, it hasn't gone kind of over the top yet, so... I'm I'm definitely willing to grab him. Just don't count on him for a guy that's going to get like 30 saves. I think there's some people who think, well, this is going to be the guy they gave him the money. And like Jason said, they don't necessarily need to put him in that closer role. He may be more effective for them as a fireman, sometimes going multiple innings or, or getting exactly. out like, you know, really tough guy in the, in the seventh. And uh, that will affect your bottom line if you're just looking at him as a saves option. So just kind of, kind of got to know what you're getting into and, Maybe you're you project him for twenty saves as opposed to thirty. Uh, and I would add. Well, I'm sorry, Justin. No, go right ahead. No, I was going to say one thing. I would add if we look back to 2017 when he saved 14 games, won nine, and had that ridiculous eight, 184 ERA. Fantastic. With, uh, you know, split season. That was a that was a that was a twenty one dollar season in an American League only format. 
Wow. Yeah. So that when you get top 60, you don't need to have a $20 season to get that. But that that's where I'm looking, obviously, with a with a higher ERA, because that's really tough to you can't project a, an 89 percent like one base or a 150. Yeah. Uh, Babbitt. You just can't do it if he just but, does what he did last year. Correct. But that's what we're looking. I mean, that was a $21 season in an AL only format. Yeah, that's fantastic. Ellen, uh, your new your new closer, at least the the closer a uh, with Robertson, is he somebody that has you excited for the back end of that bullpen? And do you also see him as a potential fireman where he's going to get some of those seventh, eighth inning times when the game's at the hottest? And then because then you can still fall back on a Dominguez, a Nishek, a Hunter, maybe one of the lefties, Alvarez or Morgan for the save. How do you feel about Robertson now with the Phillies? Yeah, I mean, I think I sort of agree with everybody else. I mean, I will definitely be um, targeting Robertson this year, but I have a couple of leagues that also count holds. And so that, you know, it sort of simplifies that problem for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I I feel like from a fan perspective, I think the only thing we can count on is for Kapler to not put somebody in the closer's role. So I love Sir Anthony Dominguez, but I think he's sort of volatile enough that we might expect to for Robertson to ultimately win that job. I just don't think that Kapler is going to think about it as like somebody's going to win the closer's job. Exactly. And say that this is your role. He's going to be flexible. We've seen it. E- even though he didn't have anybody last year that was that capital C closer, as they say, um, I, I do think that even Robertson, like I said, that gets the hairiest in the eighth in a particular game. Well, I got to go to Robertson here because he's he's our best reliever, and you got to go to your best option when you can. And I think Gabe Kapler, among all the managers, uh, understands that. Yeah, he, he's somebody who understands that as well as any other manager. So, He'll be somebody to draft, but I agree with Justin. Don't don't ink in 30-plus saves. That doesn't mean you don't want Robertson. Just make sure you get that saves count elsewhere. All right, that's going to do it for the Phillies questions. We want to move on now to an article that Ellen recently wrote just a couple weeks ago, and it was your rules for cheering, and it includes how not to cheer. So you have a few a few ideas about uh, what makes a good fan and, and things you should do and, and not do. When you're at the stadium here, let's talk about some of the things that uh, that you put in your rules. Let's start with uh, with being factually accurate. I love this one. Max Scherzer is a two-time Cy Young Award winner. Thus, he objectively does not suck. Therefore, you cannot yell, Max Scherzer, you suck. Tell us a little bit about uh, being factually accurate with your heckles. Yeah, so I definitely just like to be as specific as possible um, with my heckles and with my jeers. I prefer generally uh, uh, cheering to jeering, mm-hmm. um, but I uh, so this article, in fact, is going is just number one in a uh, it's going to be a four part series. So this one I basically outlined like how you should not cheer and some basic rules for cheering. Um, I was supposed to do the. Uh, second one this week, but I was just crazy with filming, and so I wasn't able to get it done. Um, but uh, one one of the one of my cardinal rules is to um, be as specific as possible either to the situation. Uh, so rather than being like, you know, hit a home run because that's always useful, but like not particularly specific to the situation is be like, you know, induce a grounder for a double play or like (laughs) hit a wall ball double or something like that. (laughs) I'd like to do that. Um, And I also really like to use 
the stats that are, you know, available to you on the Jumbotron or, you know, maybe more advanced stats available to you on the nearest smartphone um, to tailor your cheers to a particular player. Um, and and I also actually like to use advanced stats uh, in situations that will almost always apply. One of my favorite all-time cheers that I yell out is don't be a hero, just do anything that will positively affect your weighted on-base average. <laughs> um, this always a gets a great, a great response people around me. Yeah. A great cheer right there. I, I, I really like that. So yeah, if you're if you are curious about some more sort of suggestions for specific cheering, those those articles should be coming out in the next few weeks. This is on a, a site called uh, Fenway Nation. Yes, and we will have a link to it in in the show notes. There you can read the first one. Highly recommend it. I love it. Um, we could compare that. We could actually pair this up. Your rules for cheering with mine and my sister's uh, rules of jersey wearing. We've we've over oh. the years come up with a lot of uh, different rules that we have about about jerseys and exceptions that we make. You know, don't wear your Detroit Lions jersey to like a Rays Padres game. Like what? What are, you, what are you doing? Um, you know, uh, we we have a lot of we have a lot of rules there, but um, I, I like. I don't this. buy I like... jerseys because every time I've bought a jersey or someone's they, they given leave. me a jersey, yeah, they either uh, yeah get traded or uh, they uh, retire. Um, I I have no active player jerseys that. Well, then now what you have to worry about is uh, you know them becoming an asshole. Yeah, uh, I, I pretty and, and, much just decided that I'm only gonna buy like all-time greats. Like I like that. I like that. It just yeah, makes yeah. more sense. Arguably, my most I have two jerseys that I love. I, I I have a lot of jerseys. I'm a jersey guy, but uh, I've got uh, Granderson jersey, which is of course great, Verlander. But then uh, non-Tigers, it would be Bo Jackson baby blue for the Royals and Pedro nice. Martinez Expos. So I'm very very big fan of them. Um, yeah. Jason apparently can't hear us. I don't know if he can talk. No, I'm back. Oh, oh there, he is. there he is. All good. Yay. All good. I thought I was getting so, ready to send nuclear uh, nuclear missiles at Spectrum again, but uh, <laughs> it's back. All so, good. All good. Was where I walked into a Jersey conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, uh, it's a cheering slash Jersey conversation. We're just talking about Ellen's article up at Family yeah. Nation about the uh, rules for cheering, and I said we could combine it with mine and my sister's uh, rules for Jersey wearing, which we've. Which we've honed over the years. Of have you published you, a piece? On we haven't. We that haven't. You it's should really, do that. We'll, we'll, we'll be watching a game or something and send send a picture of like he's breaking our rule of of not being able to wear this jersey at this kind of game. And what is you know, your main we, rule though? What? What's your main rule? Because I, I have one, but I want to hear yours the, first. The main rule is not wearing like. You wearing your Lions jersey or your Red Wings jersey to the Tigers, like that doesn't count. Like you're not supporting, like that. It's not just like a Detroit support. So we 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 really don't like to see other sport jerseys at at a particular game. We're we're very well, like, anti that. Say like I I'm I'm guilty of that. Uh, regards other sports. Because I have a ridiculous number of baseball Wait, shirts. Phillies jerseys, okay. Yeah, but like last year, actually, I watched the Super Bowl in the hotel bar in uh, Virginia with Dylan Baker, because we were filming Homeland at the time. And I wore like the Aaron Nola shirt that I had just happened to pack uh, on Strong that. Strong name drop. Like it, so, like it. 
I well, I'm just saying, like I I do that, and so I'm sorry. But I no, only that's all right. That's all right. With we, baseball stuff for other sports, we, we don't throw stuff at people who break any of the rules. Don't See, and I, so I like that. So my part of my thing is, you know, if if you are going to wear, if you're going to wear something like, let's say you went, you were at the Super Bowl last year, and you wore that shirt, at least it's from. It's from the area. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is wearing sporting, wearing the sport attire that has absolutely nothing to do with the event that you're at. See, that it was kills the first me one when I, I see when I see random football jerseys. Like yes. I, you mentioned Bo Jackson. I saw a Bo Jackson football jersey at a basketball game. <laughs> like why? And then my I'm favorite one. I tweeted the picture Friday night. Clothes. I saw. I went to a minor league hockey game here, Charlotte Checkers versus the Providence Bruins, and there was a dude walking around in a 1998 Randy Johnson Diamondbacks you, jersey, not a jersey, a jersey with a cowboy hat on. Wow! You should. I'm like, what was your thought guy. process getting ready for a hockey game? You're like, you know what, man, the best outfit would be a cowboy hat. I mean, unless he's Tracy Ringleby's son. <laughs> I, I, I'm just a little confused about how one puts that outfit together to go to a hockey game. So I yeah, usually, I, I, that's I how agree. I usually pass I the time no, during, I, you know, during downtime of the games. I look around, I'm like, what can I find that's absolutely ridiculous that somebody wore to a uh, event that has nothing to do with what they're at? Uh, that's that's one of my favorite things to do at a sporting event. I, I, will make I feel clear like that you're it, just trying to prove that they like sports. Yeah, yeah, but they're just like, trying to show. But you're at a sporting event, so you don't have we to already know that you yeah. like sports. Like you're here. That's enough. Like baseball and roping cattle, and I'm going to show everybody the <laughs> hockey <laughs> game. Favorite that things, thing right there. and I want these hockey fans to know. And it's all in good fun, by the way. We don't, uh, we, you know. People be fans, be fans how you want. Uh, we keep it private and and make our jokes about uh, about different things. What's that? <laughs> I tweet pictures of it. I took a picture. Well, I mean, of that's that's just a great picture right there. <laughs> that that guy just needs to be shown off to the world there. Uh, but we actually got to move on to our next thing, and we have a game. Very own Justin Mason set up a game based on an offhanded comment I made, and I'm really <laughs> glad that you took the time to do this. I was really bored at work last night. Uh, this is fantastic. So explain the game and, and let's start playing. So the game is uh, we are playing Congress member, reliever, or top prospect. I will give oh, you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you each a name. Uh, so let's uh, you know each person will get their own questions. Uh, so that way we're not having to try to shout over each other to see who goes first or gets it first. Uh, and you have to tell me: Is this person a Congress member, a reliever in Major League Baseball? Or a top Major League Baseball prospect. This is this is fantastic. I'm very excited. We have to let our guest start, of course. So go ahead. I heard this when you mentioned this on the other episode, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I wonder who they're gonna do that with." <laughs> <laughs> like it literally didn't occur to me that it that was you gonna were coming be up me. soon. Yeah. Well, yeah. welcome. I was like, Will there be a political figure on the show? Like that's fun. Oh God. Okay. I wish we could get a political figure. I mean, there's a lot. Uh, a friend of Paul and I know that, that used to run a website that we, that's how Paul and I met. He used to tell us of these congressional fantasy baseball leagues. And yeah. like, Ted Kennedy was a huge fantasy baseball guy. And if you wanted to get a bill in front of him, you had to send it uh, with a cover letter of trade offer or anything like that. That would get his attention. Uh, and so I would I would love to get uh, somebody to come on here and talk about the the secret fantasy baseball leagues that exist on Capitol Hill. Well, and I, I figured that, like, if you get one wrong, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to seem stupid. But if Jason or Paul gets one wrong out of the baseball section, 
it'll make them feel stupid. Oh, so. okay. You know what's going to be great is we're going to miss we're either going to miss a politician or one of our local politicians or one of the prospects from our favorite team <laughs> because that's, how, that's probably how Justin is set up. Well, the beauty <laughs> of it is the, the names that sound like they could be both or a lot of Ray's prospects. <laughs> Perfect. Great. This is this is fantastic. All right, well, let's start. Let's yeah, do it. If it's a woman, yeah, I'm sure you just didn't pick them. Anyway. Uh, well, that 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 would seemingly be a good answer, but I have all the women in Congress on the list. So just in, I may oh. throw one out there just to uh, mess okay. with you guys. So we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll start with you, Ellen. Uh, you being the guest, uh, and we will go with. Um, let's see. Hmm. Hey, Jason mentioned a Kennedy. Let's go with Brett Kennedy. Oh Lord. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go reliever. Very good. You're reliever right. Reliever for the Padres. Yep, I knew that one. Weirdly enough. <laughs> All right, Paul. Here, here's your here's your chance. Um, Adrian Hauser. Oh, that's a pitcher. I remember him. He was a prospect. Um, I don't know if he's still a prospect. Didn't he? Is he the guy who threw up on the mound when he was in the majors? I don't know, but he is a prospect. Yes, for, I, for, I knew that for the one. Milwaukee yes. Brewers. So. He was with the that Astros and got traded there. Go ahead. And it was a Brewers pitcher that threw up on the mound. All right. Let's see. Daniel Sullivan, Jason. That is a congressperson. It is a congressperson. <laughs> wow. You guys are you guys are starting off uh, pretty well. That's what friend of mine. Yeah. Um, let's see. Ellen, Brett Cumberland. You got two Bretts in a row. Um, I'm gonna go congressperson. Ooh, prospect. Prospect. He's a catcher for the Baltimore Orioles. Well, their system is just stacked. So. <laughs> yeah, they're just so low. Moonlight is a congressperson. So. It's close enough to the Paul. beltway. He can just go. Yes. Shane McClanahan. Shane McClanahan? Mm, prospect. He is a prospect. For, yes. He's a pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. That one was a guess. I will their worst prospect because he's a USF grad. Oh, <laughs> but he throws a hundred and is a lefty. So. I don't even want him on the team though because he hates USF. Uh, Jason Joaquin Castro. That is a Congress critter. He is a Congress uh, man. He's a Texas representative for the twentieth district. And Sweet. also a uh, no, it's William Castro. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen Jose Serrano. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking you were really trying to mix us up by like putting latin names in here it's probably more likely to be a baseball player than a congressperson but um um uh, reliever no he's a congress uh, person oh. he, he's the representative for new york's 15th district oh yeah who doesn't know that come on ellen Jeez. i like double guessed <laughs> myself yeah you, you definitely outthought yourself on that one my turn paul who is paul cook Dude, that white bread name is definitely a, a politician. He is a politician. He is the <laughs> congressman for California's 8th district. <laughs> oh, he was one of those districts. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Uh, Jason, who is Ian Hamilton? That is a pitcher. He is a reliever yes. for, the, for the Chicago White Sox. 
Yes. I think he pitched here in Charlotte last year. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> Ellen, a prospect in his own backyard there. Who is Richard Rodriguez? Terrible football coach. <laughs> um, uh, he's a prospect. He's reliever. not. He's a reliever no. who had Tommy John surgery for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, let's see. Um, who who my ne- Paul Me. next? Yes. Uh, Paul, who's John Edwards? Oh, John Edwards. He was a presidential candidate, wasn't he? He's a politician. Ooh, that John Edwards was a politician, but no longer in Congress. There is a relief pitcher for the oh. Cleveland Indians. Dang it. He, that was dirty. He did it dirty. <laughs> oh, come on. All right. And last but not least, for the win, Jason, who is Andrew Kim? Uh, Andrew Kim is a politician. He is a politician. Boom! <laughs> there we go. For a score of uh, Jason 4, Paul 3, Ellen 1. Jason has taken down the first and probably only edition of Congress member, reliever, or top prospect. Yeah, no, oh, this can't be the only time. One. I'll come up with one so that you can play too, because that's... that's and by the way, Ian Hamilton did pitch in Charlotte for uh, 20 games last year. Yeah! Had to be. Had to be. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, that's going to that's gonna wrap us up here. Let's go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about uh, one other thing from Ellen that, that I, you've either been working on or worked on. I know, Jason, you and you guys were talking about it right before the show. Something called love and communication. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that before we go? Oh, yeah. Um, so last fall, I shot this film uh, called Love and Communication that's about uh, parents of a child with autism uh, trying to basically figure out what program is going to best serve their child and uh, and sort of they both go to increasingly uh, far lengths to to find the right option for their child and I play a, a school administrator in that film and um, it, it the the film was written and directed by a um, by a uh, wonderful man who has an autistic son and so this you know is not based on what actually happened to him but certainly based on his own experience with uh sort of dealing with you know f- figuring out how to um how to educate your autistic child uh in the best way and jason this this struck you closely yeah, it struck me. I mean, people may know my son has Asperger's, and so I have dealt with many a school administrator <laughs> over the past. He's in eighth grade, but this has been something that we've, uh, you know, individual education plans and, and different things uh, throughout his educational career. And uh, so I'm very intrigued to see this because I typically tune into TV uh, or movies, anything that has to do on this uh, topic because it hits close to home. In fact, I was in, if you're in the Myrtle Beach area, there's this awesome breakfast place, Johnny B's Waffles. Uh, and it, I mean, it truly is amazing. Not a lot about Myrtle Beach is amazing as somebody who has to go there at least once a year. Um, but this particular place is because the the chef and the uh, slash co-owner has a son with autism and they have they do a lot of stuff uh, to talk, make it a... a an, autism friendly environment they sell t-shirts i'm wearing one of their bands uh one of their uh silicone 
uh, awareness to acceptance is the is the thing about let's learn about autism uh, right now. But if you're if you happen if you have to go to Myrtle Beach like I do a couple of times a year, that's a great breakfast place. But it's just great to see uh, more awareness about this situation because it's something that's uh, you know more and more as I talk to different parents, uh, it's it's obviously out there. But I'm very uh, interested in seeing when this thing uh, when this when you, when the movie comes out to be able to watch it and uh, because it hits very close to home again with as being the parent but also talking to those school administrators uh, as often as I do. And IMDb tells us that it's in post production. I don't know if Ellen can give any guidance on to when that might be available, but it sh- should be out soonish. I don't know how quickly things turn from post production into being available, but uh, are you able to speak on that at all Ellen in terms of the availability of when it's going to be out? Unfortunately, I'm not. No, sorry. Okay. I, I know that that actually all I know is that timelines vary widely for different pr- productions. So. Okay. Well, we'll keep a lookout for that. It's called Love and Communication. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you guys can find Ellen on Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair. That's A-D-A-I-R. She's right now over there at Fenway Nation. Stay tuned for her uh, How to Cheer and, and figure out how to cheer, because some of you definitely need to figure it out. Yeah, yeah you got a lot, of, a lot of clowns out there not knowing exactly how to cheer. If you want to jeer, at least do it right. At least jeer about the right things. And uh, like your jeer of telling Jose Reyes to retire. I love that. Just retire. Leave. Nobody wants you here at all. But, Ellen, thank you so much for being on the show with us. We'll definitely have you back again. And we might have to have you and Ian on at the same time for a little, just uh, thinking that. For a little uh, inside the actor's baseball it, it studio. It would be like here. a whole, homeland reunion. It would be, be fantastic. Yeah, so. we shot actually in the same uh, studios that Turn was in. So Turn left and then Homeland came into those studios as a sort of like weird – Six degrees of Ian Khan situation. <laughs> I think we only well, need like two more actors or actresses, and we can have an actual like fantasy baseball actors and actresses draft. I'm I'm in. I, I would like to be a part of that just to get beaten up by a bunch of actors and actresses. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't be, be a lot of fun. Uh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Um, yeah, I do. I uh, I'm actually uh, Ian's home league. I have an auctioneer for that in five weeks now. Ooh, it's March fourteenth. Co- everything's coming, y'all. It's it's so close. It's fantastic. Like I said tonight, for me, it's really the uh, that official official start of the fantasy baseball season because we put ba- football in the rearview. I know some of y'all y'all love it. And that's fine. We clown on it every once in a while here, but uh, it's put to bed tonight, and baseball takes center stage. And I am very excited. I don't know exactly when this will go up. It'll depend when Justin can get it to me versus when I can put it up. Uh, so some of you might be hearing this on Monday after the Super Bowl. But uh, I hope you all have a good evening. And Justin, you and I will talk later this week to finish our third base preview. And Jason, hopefully we join you again next Sunday. And Ellen, thank you again for being on. Y'all have a good one. You too. Thanks. Thanks.